संस्थापकायर्मस्वूपिणे अवतारवरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा नम Good morning. It's a wonderful day, a very warm day outside, and warm inside too. For this morning, we are going to speak about the way of love. And there's a special magic in love. Today's talk is a continuation of what we were discussing last Sunday. Love of God, but a very special kind of love. The higher practice of bhakti. You see, there is a kind of bhakti where love of God, where we approach God to solve our problems. I have, um, I'm suffering or somebody close to me is suffering and I pray to God. There's this lady who wrote a beautiful book about religion in the 21st century and she says that she was an atheist or at least not interested in God. But then her son, son was suffering from a very severe disease and... Uh, Uh, in the hospital while his treatment was going on. You know, they have chapels in the hospitals. So she says, I don't know why, I just went there to sit quietly with no intention to pray, but I found myself praying. There is a saying that there are no atheists in the foxholes, in, in the trenches, in, in the war, no athe- atheists. So when I'm in trouble, when I'm suffering, I uh, reach out to God. That's one kind of bhakti. There's another kind of bhakti, I'm not in trouble, But I want something. There's no problem in my life, but there's something more that I want to make my life better. It's good, but I want it to be better. I want money, relationships, or something, or a parking spot, something. <laughs> uh, they are equally important in Manhattan. So I want something. That's also another kind of bhakti, and you, you send out a prayer to God. And there's nothing wrong in this kind of bhakti. Because why it is not wrong, although the demands are worldly, but still, you are making the demand of God. You are praying to God. You have a, some kind of, a person has some kind of belief. In fact, most of the, um, the crowds filling up churches and temples and mosques all over the world, most of them, they belong to this category. Either they want something, or they are suffering and they want to be relieved of suffering, or maybe they don't want anything specifically, but... The feeling is, if I believe in God, if I worship God, if I do my religious rituals sincerely, my life will be better for it. You see the logic. You might say, what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And Sri Krishna himself in the Gita says that there are different kinds of bhaktas and includes these two, artha and artharthi, those who are in distress and those who, who want something. And they are also devotees. They are also believers in God. They are also religious people. But today we are not going to talk about that kind of faith in God or that kind of love, of love of God. You see, one may love God for two reasons. One approach could be, I want God to improve my life. God as something, as an add-on, a topping on your pizza. So it makes my life better. A, a dash of religion A sprinkling of rituals makes my life better. It's tastier. It, it's, it's a better life. It's fashionable to go to church or temple or something. That's one kind of uh, approach where you're using God to improve your life for your better, a better life. The other approach is where life is for God, where you are fundamentally a spiritual seeker. What do I want in life? I want enlightenment. I want God. I want nirvana. I want moksha. Why do you go to God? Because I love you. Sri Ramakrishna once, he loved Sri, uh, Swami, uh, Swami Vivekananda so much, the young boy Narendra. And he praised Narendra to the skies and he would always give all attention to Narendra. But one day, he stopped paying any attention to Narendra. Uh, he would come and sit in Dakshineshwar and Sri Ramakrishna would turn his face away and would not talk about him, talk to him, even look at him. Narendra quietly would come and sit And then he would leave. And then again, the next time he would come. Then again, he would go back. No problem. Absolutely calm. One day, Sri Ramakrishna said to him harshly, I don't even talk to you. I don't even look at you. Why do you come? And Narendra smiled and said, I come because I love you. I'm happy to be with you. You don't have to look at me. You don't have to pay attention to me. So my life is, there, is for God. I'm here because I love God. That is the second approach. 
a higher approach, a purer love. It's the higher practice of bhakti, and that's what we are going to speak about this morning. It's an extraordinary thing. How do you go from, how does one go from the, the, uh, the first approach to the second approach, from God for my life to my life for God? How do you do that? Here is a simple practice. All of us can do it. When I next go to God, to the temple, to the church, the Vedanta Society, in front of the picture of the Lord, in front of Sri Bhagavan, let me go with this thing. The moment I step in there, let me cast off all my other um, you know, attributes that, who am I when I go in front of God? I am a lover of God. But I'm also a father. No. A husband or a wife or, or an executive in a company or a, or a person who is suffering from health problems or financial problems. No. No. Leave all of that aside. Drop it when you walk through the portals of God's house. Drop all associations, all your, what in, in Vedanta it is called upadhi. Everything else extraneous, just drop it. I am coming to God as a bhakta, as a lover of God. What else are you? You're certainly a husband or a wife. All that I set aside. All problems associated with that, all demands and desires associated with the rest of my life, I leave it aside I come to God simply as a child of God, as a lover of God, as a servant of God. That is the, the central practice. And all else that I will do today, we will talk about today, it goes to show how we can do that. So the central practice, again, for the higher practice of bhakti, is I come to God as a lover of God. I am here before you, my Lord, as I love you, that's why I'm here. I don't want anything else of you. I just want to love you. That's all. It's a very powerful practice. Now, the question will be, that's true. It's a nice attitude to take. But it also, the point is that I also have a life. It's that my life doesn't go away. I have problems, physical problems. I have relationship problems. I have financial problems. I have things to do in life, things to achieve in life, and so on and so forth. And so how do, I, how do I reconcile all of that with this pure practice of bhakti? You know, how do I do that? And in this pure practice of bhakti, in the pure love, the technique is this. It is to dedicate everything else to God. All lokika and alokika, the, the religious and secular activities, the dimensions of my life, I surrender unto the Lord. Certainly all religious uh, practices, whether you're going to church or temple, whether you're praying or meditating or doing pranayama, or practicing yoga, anything that you consider to be religious and spiritual, the attitude to be, should be that I am doing it because I love thee and, and thou will be pleased with this. That's all. That's why I'm doing it. Whether you go on a pilgrimage to Kailash or Manusaravar or Amarnath or whatever, the whole point is, I don't want anything else out of it. This is my worship of, of you, of thou. I worship my Lord in these ways. But not only religious activities, all our day-to-day -day activities, everything can be done for the sake of God. Yad karoshi yadat ashnasi, in Gita it is said, Krishna says to Arjuna, Whatever you do in life, when you are walking, think I'm walking to the temple of the Lord. You may not be, but then in a, in a deeper sense, where is not the temple of the Lord? So have that attitude, I'm walking to the temple of the Lord, or I'm driving to the temple of the Lord. When you're eating, I'm offering this to the Lord. It's an offering to God. When I'm speaking with others, I'm speaking with the children of the Lord, or I'm speaking to the Lord himself or herself in, in, in that particular person. So connect all the activities that we do throughout the day with God. The problem with our usual spiritual practices, repeating the mantra or meditating, the question constantly comes that, uh, Swami, my mind wanders. Everybody asks this question. So when you have a Q&A session, that one question will always be there. My mind wanders all over the place. How can I control my mind? And you need not be ashamed of that. We... We have very good predecessors. Arjuna asks this question to Krishna. When Krishna teaches him meditation, Arjuna says, good, 
the meditation you have taught me is perfectly useless. <laughs> Krishna says, what? Yes, because the mind is difficult to control. It doesn't come under control. In that case, connect all activities to God. Connect all activities to God and do whatever you are doing. The mind will be engaged in that activity, but I'm doing it for the Lord. That attitude if you get. You see, connecting everything to God is an acknowledgement of a great truth. What is the truth? That everything does really belong to God. Everything in the world belongs to God. Even our own bodies, our minds, everything is a creation of the Lord. Sri Bhagavan has created this entire universe. You or I wouldn't remain alive for one minute without a breath of air, without the physiological processes going on in our bodies. How much of that is done consciously? How much of that is done deliberately? Nothing. You will say that, oh, it's, science has explained it all. It's the power of nature. So that's a different uh, uh, paradigm. Here, everything that nature does, Prakriti, is the power of God, of Sri Bhagavan's power. Everything in this world is done by the will of the Lord. Everything in this world belongs to the Lord. The, the, the uh, wealth with which you worship the Lord, it's the Lord's. Uh, our uh, John Rockefeller, when he was an upcoming entrepreneur, uh, somebody said there's this uh, interesting monk from India. And uh, so Rockefeller went to meet him, and he was building up his empire at that time. And there's a very interesting dialogue between him and Swami Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda told him that all this wealth that you're accumulating, um, it's, it's the Lord's wealth, and you are a trustee and use it for the welfare of the world. And Rockefeller did not like that at all. He was not, he was not a philanthropist at that time. He didn't like that. He stalked out. But something went on in his mind. A few days later, he came back to the house where Swami Vivekananda was staying, and he said, can I meet that monk? He's in the study. So he strode into the study, and Swamiji was reading something or writing something. I think the account goes that way. And Rockefeller threw a... He stood in front. Swami didn't look up. He threw a check in front of the Swami. Look, it's a big donation to a good charity. That was his first donation, it seems. So uh, here is something that I'm giving for a good cause. No response from Swamiji. He went on reading. And then Rockefeller says, you should thank me. The Swami looked up and said, it is for you to thank me. And then went back to his, his work. And that person becomes transformed into a great philanthropist. This idea that all that we possess is, the, is God's possession. We are using it. We are trustees of that. So when we dedicate everything to the Lord, then we are actually acknowledging a great truth. There was a man who was going on a camel. And he had a big bundle uh, of you know, his personal possessions, and he felt bad for the camel. It's so heavy, the poor camel is taking me and, and the bundle, so let me take the bundle and put it on my head. <laughs> it's still the camel who is carrying you and the bundle on your head. In the same way, every responsibility is the Lord's responsibility, actually. We will execute our duties, we will do everything that we are, we are sent here to do, but know that, Sri Ramakrishna is to say, even a single leaf does not move without the will of the Lord in this, in this universe, though we know it not. Another variation of the story is also very, very nice. Somebody was traveling in a train, and he had a big bundle of his possessions. In India, they still do that. They'll bundle it up in a big piece of cloth, whatever their worldly possessions in. Not that it's relevant, but I just remembered the image comes to my mind. We had a very senior monk, um, a wonderful Swami. He passed away a few years ago. He used to, um, every day it was his practice in the evening, all his possessions in life, he would bundle it up and tie a big bundle and put it over his shoulder and walk thrice around his little room and then put it down and unpack everything and put everything back in its place. And he was in his 80s at that time. So somebody asked him, what is it that you do? He said, I am a monk. Tomorrow, if they ask me to leave this monastery, and he's been there for 60 years, so nobody's going to ask him to leave. But you see, that's his attitude. I'll walk out. I depend only on God. I'll live under a tree and die under a tree. It doesn't matter. All the, so I, I make sure that I'm free. All my positions I put into a bundle, and I walk thrice around the room to know that I can walk out anytime I want. Anyway, so 
Everything belongs to the Lord. The person was going in a train with, with this bundle and uh, he was keeping it on his head, sitting there. Exactly the opposite of what that person did uh, in the, the camel story. And somebody sitting in front of him in the train said, look, put it down at your feet. The train which is carrying you to your destination will also carry your bundle to your destination. And so he was very relieved. He put it down at his feet. That's true. All our bundle desires, sorrows, grievances, uh, our little personal histories, take the whole bundle and put it at the feet of the Lord. The Lord will take responsibility for you. It's an enormous relief. You don't know how light you feel afterwards. It belongs to the Lord. The entire universe belongs to the Lord. When Swami Ramakrishnananda was in Chennai, in, it was Madras at that time, and starting, uh, starting the Ramakrishna Mutt in Madras, one of the devotees who is to come was a very serious individual who would, um, uh, who would come and sit with the Swami and discuss his plans for social reform. Would say, um, this is what I want to do to reform Indian society, these are the projects that I want to take up, and so on and so forth. Then the Swami listened to him carefully, quietly, once, twice, thrice. And then one day when he started again on his big plans of social reforms and to, I have to do this, I have to do that, the Swami said quietly, um, I wonder what God did before you were born. <laughs> I wonder what God did before you were born. So this entire universe belongs to the Lord, including our little lives. It all belongs to the Lord. Acknowledge that and connect everything to the Lord. Offer everything up to the Lord. There is this concept in Hinduism, a very nice concept. All Indians will immediately recognize the word. It's called prasad. Prasad means it's consecrated food. You offer it to God. Oh Lord, take this, you know, flowers and fruit and uh, incense and everything. And all the food items are also offered to God. And then all the devotees partake of it as the Lord's prasad. The Lord has taken of it and then, then we share it. That is, the food is divinized. There is a, they actually say, there is a, there is a whole theology of prasad. That uh, uh, a sattvic quality comes into the food. In fact, one of the practices that we do and we, all of us can do that from now on. Everything that you eat, whether it's your full meal or, your, or a snack that you want to take or a glass of water, mentally offer it to the Lord. Lord, take this, accept this. And I'm taking it as your prasad. It's a practice we can do lifelong. I think just about every monk I know does it. And it's, it's open to everybody. Everybody can do this practice. Offer it to the Lord and it becomes prasad mentally. Mentally offer it and it becomes prasad. There is a beautiful story about Vishnu Priya. She was the wife of Nimai, who became Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So after he became a monk and he left home, she remained in Nadia all her life. And she was a great spiritual practitioner, um, aspirant herself, of a great spiritual sadhika herself. Wonderful life she led. One of the practices which uh, Vishnu Priya did was uh, every day she would chant the mantra, Hare Ram, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, and pick, and she had this mound of rice before her. She would take up one grain of rice and set it aside. Then again chant the mantra, take up another grain of rice and set it aside. And again chant the mantra, take up a third grain of rice and set it aside. And after the practice was over, whatever rice was collected there, that would be her food for the day. So imagine, the whole thing becomes prasad. Holy Mother was asked, we set out all this food before the master and do the puja. Does the Lord actually accept this? And the Holy Mother said, actually he does. The Lord does. When you, when you offer food to God in a proper way with devotion, uh, with, with piety, uh, with love, the Lord actually accepts it. So you might say that the food is still the same. It hasn't come, become less. The Lord hasn't eaten it. But uh, she explained, it, uh, the Lord takes an essence of the food. Um, and she actually had a mystical experience of how the Lord accepts the food. And it actually becomes prasad. Everything in life should be offered to the Lord and accepted back as prasad. Not just food. Clothes. You get a new pair of clothes. It was a practice in India. You get a new pair of um, a shirt or trousers. 
offer it mentally to the Lord, and you take it back as prasada. Everything. You know, any new, even, even a new gadget you buy or an iPhone or something, offer it to the Lord, and you take it back as prasada. Everything becomes um, uh, divinized as prasada. This practice of offering everything to God is very important because there's a saying that if you take one step towards God, God takes ten steps towards you. Everything in spiritual life is done by the grace of God. But we, shall, we should also do our little bit, a little bit to help the grace of God. Yeah. How do you help God? By offering all that is the Lord's back to the Lord. Tvadiyam eva vastu govindam Govinda, Tubhyam Samarpaye. O Krishna, it is your own, whatever all, all, all these things are, they belong to you, and I offer them back to you. In Bengali, there is a saying, Ganga Jale Ganga Puja. You worship the Ganges with the Ganges water. Ganges water is supposed to be holy. So Ramakrishna used to say, three things are visible Brahman on earth. Three things are visible Pratyaksha Brahma, visible Brahman, the Lord in, present in three things. And what are the three things? One is the water of the Ganges. The other is the dust of Vrindavan. Vrindavan Raja. The dust of Vrindavan. And the third thing is the, the uh, rice offering to Jagannath. Jagannath Atkil. Yes. So these three things uh, are supposed to be manifest Brahman on earth. Now you worship the Ganges with Ganges water. Whatever you worship the Lord with belongs to the Lord. So you're just acknowledging that. I am returning unto you what is thine. In Sanskrit, the word for grace is kripa. Kripa means grace. Everything is done by the grace of God. So we, we can only beg for the grace of God. But one Swami said, somebody was, went to Swami Vishuddhananda, who was a president of the Ramakrishna order a long time ago. Maharaj Kripakarun, uh, have grace upon us. And the Swami, after some time, said, don't you know the meaning of Kripa? The Sanskrit word Kripa has two parts, Kri and Pa. If you split it up that way, Kri means to do something, and Pa means to get something. So first you do something, then only, <laughs> then only you, you get something. This whole practice of offering back to the Lord everything in life, our possessions, our relationships, our, uh, uh, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, Everything in life, the activities that we do, everything, the speech that we utter, even the thoughts we have, offering it continuously back to the Lord. This practice is called in Sanskrit nyasa. Nyasa means giving up. You see, in spiritual life, we notice in all religions, there is a stepping back from the world, a little turning away from the world. When you become a monk, when a person becomes a monk, we give up father and mother and brother and sister and all family relationships. We give up all our material possessions and we dedicate our lives to the Lord. So that is giving up. Now that is difficult. That is strenuous. And that's not practical for most people in the world. Here is the magic of love, the higher form of love. How can you do exactly what a monk does yet without actually Stopping, cutting off everything physically from the world. You can continue your life in the world, but mentally, inside, in your heart, in your mind, continuously offer up everything to the Lord. This continuous offering up everything to the Lord is as good as, or even better than, the, the uh, renunciation of the monk. It is called nyasa in Sanskrit, giving up to the Lord. So the activities continue. Your life in the world continues as it is. But you have given up everything to the Lord and everything in your life is prasada. It is divinized. The grace of the Lord has a whole uh, spectrum. You see, when one first gets fear, it may start with fear of God. It may start with fear of social criticism. It may start with fear of sin. That also is the grace of God. It is the beginning of the grace of God. So self-control which, is, which starts with fear, with, with the modesty, with a sense of shame. I should not do this. What will people say? Uh, the police are going to get me. Or what are, what are people in my church or my temple going to say about me? It starts with that. That is also a grace of God. That is the dawning of the grace of God. Some good sense is knocked into us. And so that's how it starts. But the high, that's not the higher love. 
What we are speaking about is all of that self-control, all of that comes because I love God. The Lord will be annoyed. The Lord will be unhappy if I do these things. The Lord will be unhappy if I say such things. The Lord will be unhappy if I think such things. I love the Lord. I cannot make him un unhappy. And hence, self-control comes. Nyasa. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, there is a beautiful verse in the ninth chapter. Ananyaschintayantomam yejanaparyupasate those who continuously think of me, pray to me, work for me. Exactly what we have been speaking about. All your life is transformed into this ananya. Ananya means not anything else. Other than God, not anything else. Those people, those devotees who worship me in all ways, the Lord says, Krishna says in the Gita, Tesham nityabhiyuktanam, those who are constantly engaged in the thought, in the prayer, in love of God. Yoga kshema vahamyaham, I take care of them. Very important point. Krishna says in the Gita, I take care of them. Because the question will arise, so if I keep, keep uh, thinking about God, what's going to happen to my life? Who's going to take care of my financial responsibilities, my family responsibilities, my job, my health, all of that? And Sri Krishna says, God will take responsibility. If you throw all your responsibility upon God, then God takes responsibility for you. Yoga Kshema here means whatever you need in life, what you need, not, not greed, but what is needed, that will be supplied by God. And whatever you have in life, who's going to take care of all of this? People in my life, my house, my car, and my dog, who's going to take care? And God says, I will take care of you. I'll take care of you. What you have, I will protect. Kshema. What you do not have, what you require, I shall add unto you. In the Bible also the same thing. It shall be added unto you, whatever you need. Seek first the Lord and whatever you need on this earth will be added unto you. And, the, and Krishna, look at the word Krishna uses there. Vahamyaham. I shall bear, I shall carry it on my shoulders and take to the devotee. Not that I shall grant. Vahami in, in Sanskrit means I shall carry unto the devotee. I shall protect the devotee. I shall carry it to the devotee. There is a beautiful story about Tulsidas who wrote the Ramcharit Manasana. Tulsidas. He was staying in Kashi in Banaras at that time. And some rich people had come and given some stuff to him, some, some gifts to the, to the saint. And the thieves had noticed it, the robbers. Oh, the saint has got nice stuff in his, in his hut. So they wanted to rob him at night. They were keeping a watch. Late in the night, when they were sure that the saint had gone to sleep, Tulsidas had gone to sleep, they, they began to sneak up to the hut where he lived. They saw two young boys standing with bow and arrow there. They're standing. One was a little dark, one was fair. They're standing there and patrolling all around the hut. They withdrew. The thieves withdrew. And then again they came back a little later. Again the same two very strange, uh, these two wonderful young, young men standing there with a bow and an arrow. And then they, in fear they withdrew again. Throughout the night they tried to come close, but then they couldn't. I mean, anybody who knows Tulsidas and Ramayana would know that is Rama and Lakshmana. That is the story. It's a well-known story. Rama and Lakshmana were patrolling the house. For Next morning, because they had the vision of Rama and Lakshmana, the thieves were transformed. They went, to the feet, uh, they went to the saint and fell at his feet and said, Lord, for, uh, uh, Swami, forgive us. We wanted to rob you, but we could not. But tell us, who were these strange people you have employed, your bodyguards, yeah? <laughs> who were there and they looked like this and they had a bow and arrow? And immediately Tulsidas had tears in his eyes. But look at his reaction. Oh, because I have accumulated these goods in my house and it's attracting robbers and the Lord is troubled. The Lord has to come the, and, and protect me all night long because I am accumulating all this. Immediately he had called the poor people of the neighborhood and donated whatever he had in his, uh, in his little hut. Because the Lord should not be troubled. The Lord himself does that. Another beautiful story, um, Jagannath Mishra, he was a great uh, Pandit and a great uh, Vaishnava in Puri. He wrote a commentary 
and not only the Gita, I think most of the Mahabharata probably in Sanskrit. He and his wife used to live there, and he would be a scholar. He would write a commentary on, uh, on the scriptures in Sanskrit. So when he came to this verse where Krishna says, Yoga kshema vahamnyaham, I carry whatever is necessary, and I protect whatever is to be protected in, 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 for the devotee. Now, the Jagannath Mishra thought, Vahami is too much. I carry is too much. Why should the Lord carry something for the devotee? This is not proper. So he said, it must be a mistake. And he cut it out with a pen, with, a, with a, on those quills they had. And he wrote, Dadamyaham, I give, I grant. The Lord says, I grant what is necessary for the devotee, not I carry. So he cut it out. Now that day, there was no food in their house, and his wife was worried, um, and she saw, and there was nothing to cook, but she saw this uh, very nice-looking young kid coming with a bundle on his head, and when he came and he said, your husband, the pundit, he has sent all this, this is all, he opened the bundle, and he saw, she saw all the materials for food, and everything was there, and they would have a sumptuous meal, but she saw, to her horror, a red cut on the boy's face. And she was saying, who did this to you? This is horrible. Who hurt you? And the boy shrugged, your husband did. He cut me across the face. And then he, uh, he walked away. And she was, she was so heartbroken at this. When her husband returned, and she said, what's happened to you in your old age? You lost your wits or what? That young boy, so nice, you sent all the food with him, but why did you hit him? What possessed you to, to hit the little boy and, and he's, he's hurt, he was bleeding. And then Jagannath Mishra immediately understood. He immediately rushed to the, his Gita and he opened the page where he had cut it out. Vahamyaham, I bear. He cut it out. He, again he erased that and he put it back as it was. Not that I grant, I bear. It's literally true, my Lord. You bear for your devotees. So, the Lord will take care of life. When Narendranath, he was in, in very bad condition. His father had died, he didn't have a job, and his family was in debt, and he had younger brothers and sisters to take care of. He was desperate. So he went to Sri Ramakrishna, and he said, you pray to your mother, Mother Kali, so, that they can, so at least my family will get something to eat. How can I become a monk or seek for God when my family is starving? And Sri Ramakrishna said, why don't you pray to the mother? I don't pray for such things. So Narendranath said, look, you believe in her and you, you see her and you talk to her, so pray to her. I really, it's not really my thing. You know, a staunch non-dualist. Sri Ramakrishna said, no, you have to do it. I don't pray for such things. So uh, Narendranath went and late in the night and then he came back drunk in, as if in ecstasy of, uh, of love. And Ramakrishna asked him, what happened? When I went there to pray, I had a vision of the Divine Mother. She was there, she's real, she's alive, she's there. Oh, did you ask? Yes, I asked for devotion, for love, for jnana, for knowledge, for dispassion, for detachment from the world, so that I can have one-pointed devotion to, to God. Ramakrishna said, yeah, yeah, that's all right, but did you ask for money and for food for your family? Narendra said, no, how could I? I forgot everything when I saw the Mother. Ramakrishna said, you are more impractical than me. Go back there and ask. So he sent Narendranath back again. The second time, the same thing happened. He said, I, I saw the mother again, but I asked for love and devotion and, and uh, spiritual knowledge and dispassion, vairagya. Only for spirituality, nothing worldly. Sri Ramakrishna sent him back a third time. It means there's still time. Go back, you young fool. Go and ask. You need money. You need uh, food for you. That's what you wanted, isn't it? Third time also Narendra came back. I could not ask for that. I can't ask for such things from, from God. You see, he is a devotee of this higher category we are talking about, who wants nothing from God, even though he needs it. When he goes in front of God, when he goes in front of the Lord, he is not, I am Narendra my mother and my, my younger brother and sister are starving, we are in debt, I don't have a job, please help me. No. No, no. All of that disappears. No matter how much the problems in life, nothing of that in his mind. I love God. I am thine, thou art mine. That's all that he, he can pray for. Third time also he could not do that. Then Sri Ramakrishna. You see, yoga kshema vahamyam. Sri Ramakrishna said, 
All right. He was very happy secretly. That's what he wanted from Narendranath. He said, all right. Your family will never lack plain food and clothes. He never said that they're going to become millionaires. They will just get, just, they'll just get by. I, I, I assure you that much. And that they did, definitely. So the Lord takes care of his own. This one-pointedness comes in life. Ananyata, there's a beautiful word, ananyata. One-pointedness comes in life when you lead life like this. One of the factors that we have to take care of is, in Sanskrit they say, anya ashrayanam tyagaha. Give up all other support in life. We have many supports in life. What makes us feel good? I am rich. That's my support in life. I have millions. That's one support. The attitude is, no, not wealth. My support is the Lord. Wealth is there today, gone tomorrow. I am young and beautiful and strong. That's there today and gone tomorrow. That's true. I, I saw the picture of Muhammad Ali, you know. And towards the end, how uh, he, he's, he became Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, I think. So this one of the strongest, most fierce fighters in the world, trembling, hardly able to control his own body. It goes away. Everything in life goes away. All physical strength and health and beauty and youth, everything fades away. I was just saying, I think yesterday, even if you practice a lot of yoga and eat gluten-free all your life, <laughs> still, the most gluten-free yogi is also going to get old and, uh, and, and die. So all of that goes away. Our depend, we depend on the Lord alone and nothing else. Ashraya, my refuge is the Lord. Not anything else. Power. Most powerful man in the world or in, in the company. or some, That also, that should not be my refuge. That I depend on that. God plus my wealth or my power. No, God alone. Give up all other supports. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you're going to give up your bank balance and resign from your position of power. All that may be there outside. But internally know that I depend on only the Lord. I remember I met this professor of religion uh, from McGill University, Canada. I met her at an uh, interfaith conference in India. And she's very interesting. She is Jewish, but very interested in Buddhism. And um, she's a professor of religion, and she also practices Thai kickboxing. Now she said, I always wanted to be a Buddhist nun. I really, really want that. But I have a little daughter. And I cannot give up my daughter like that. I mean, I cannot be a nun but I, and, and you know, like abandon my daughter. How, how, what can I do? I just remembered Sri Ramakrishna's beautiful saying. He says, little children play. They catch hold of a pillar and they swing round and round. And it's fun. And they, they squeal with laughter. And, and they, but they are very careful not to let go of the pillar. Because they know if they let go of the pillar, they'll be thrown aside and they'll get hurt. So that's important to hold on to the pillar. Similarly in life, hold on to God and do everything else. Everything else that comes in your life, you can do that. Do that. You take care of your daughter, your profession, but hold on to your spiritual life as the center. Let everything be else be the periphery. Your profession, your daughter, your, your relationships, everything else is there as a periphery, but central thing. Is, is your spiritual practice. I didn't say God because she was Buddhist. <laughs> but your, your spiritual quest is the center. The center of your being is your spirituality. This is the difference between this second approach, the higher practice of bhakti and the earlier practice of bhakti. In, in, the, in the beginning stages, bhakti or spirituality is one of the things in my life. But other things are more, more important. But here spirituality becomes the central thing in life. I have always find it inspiring that Mahatma Gandhi said, people think, who am I? People think that I am a politician. Some people think that I am a freedom fighter. Others think that I am a social reformer. But if you ask me, I am a simple man in search of God. I am a simple man in search of God. Now remember, as a simple man in search of God, he did not give up his freedom struggle against the British or his uh, attempts uh, or his reforms of uh, Indian society. Or multifarious activities, a very busy and packed life. He didn't give it up. All of that 
are in the peripheries that's going round and round, holding on to the pillar. The central thing is, I'm a simple man in search of God. Anya Ashrayanam Tyaga. Give up all other supports. Don't define yourself by those supports. Religious practices also. You see, there's a subtle point here. Sometimes religious practices become my support. God is not the support. The religious practices are the support. Some people do japa, repeat the mantra. They do meditation. For what? One Swami put it beautifully. They do all their practices. They pray to God. They repeat the mantra of God. They meditate. And in exchange, they want ask for the world. They, wor- they ask for the world. They do spiritual practices to, to please the Lord. And when the Lord is pleased, their prayer is, give me the world. Power, wealth, success. Exchanging spirituality for the world. One devotee came up to Swami Brahmananda in Belurmat and bowed down to him and said, Swami, you are it is extraordinary, the sacrifice that you have made. You have given up the world for God. And that's why I bow down to you. And the Swami said, I bow down to you even more deeply because I have given up worthless pieces of glass for a diamond. You have thrown away the diamond for glass, glass pieces. You have given up God for the world. I bow down to you. Greater is your renunciation. <laughs> Don't exchange spiritual practices for, for things of the world. It should be the other way around. Even there, spiritual practices done for God realization, even there we can be led astray. A monk wrote to the Holy Mother from the Rishikesh where he was practicing meditation in the foothills of the Himalayas. And the letter was read out to the Holy Mother. This monk is writing, Ma, I have done so much of japas, repeated the mantra. I've done so much meditation. But the Lord is not pleased to show himself to me. I, have no, I don't have the vision of God. When will Thakur, Sri Ramakrishna, show himself to me? Now this annoyed the mother. She said right back to him, that do you think God is a sack of potatoes that you can go to the market and, and purchase? I have done so much meditation, so much repeating the mantra, and therefore, Lord has to appear before me. God has to appear before me. I purchased, the God, uh, uh, purchased God. You cannot do that. The Lord appears, reveals himself to you by sheer grace, not because of our spiritual practices. And then she writes, she says, write to him. He is a sadhu. If he will not repeat the mantra, what will he do? (laughs) Tell him when the Lord is pleased, the Lord will appear before him. And he is a sadhu. Till that time, if he is not going to repeat his mantra, if he is not going to do spiritual practices, what else will he do? In Kashi, in Banaras, a monk he, went, he had gone out, he got into some trouble. Um, and he had gone outside in the evening and he got into some trouble outside when it was reported to Swami Turiyananda, Hari Maharaj, that this young monk got into trouble, did something unmonastic. He said the first, his first reaction was, Shondhavala Shadu Ashon Chede Jabe Kano. In the evening, after sunset, why is this, is this monk away from his meditation mat? He should be sitting in his meditation mat all evening, all night. Why is he outside? Why is he gone outside the ashram? Why? So, Anya Ashrayanam Tyaga, focus on spiritual life and hold on to the Lord alone. Don't even think that by spiritual practices, because I have got spiritual practices, now I will get God. No. I have got only God. Of course, spiritual practices I will do because I'm a spiritual seeker. I'm a lover of God. I will do spiritual practices. But it all depends on the grace of God. I have no other refuge. In Bengali, there's a saying, Rakhe hori to mare ke, mare hori rakhe ke. Yes. If the Lord protects you, who can destroy you? If the Lord lets go of you, who can protect you? Nobody. So, the, our refuge is God and only God. There are signs of this, this higher kind of bhakti. A delight, an internal delight in the spiritual practices. You do puja. You decorate the picture or the image of the Lord. There's the whole technology of puja in Hinduism. It's a very beautiful practice. Professor Jeffrey Long, who was here last, uh, last week, I think, Two weeks ago, he gave a nice talk in uh, Belurmat. Uh, I heard him give a talk. 
uh, he said uh, that how these practices have spread in America. One of his friends, an American lady, and he was talking to uh, this lady over phone and talking about Hinduism, and this lady said, no, no, I don't consider myself a Hindu. Why should I consider myself a Hindu? And she was saying, these are the reasons why I don't consider myself a Hindu. And after some time, she said, okay, Jeff, I've got to go now. Uh, time for my puja. <laughs> I have to do my puja now. <laughs> so it's a very beautiful practice where you decorate the image of the Lord or a picture of the Lord with flowers, and then you chant mantras, you offer the bale leaves or the tulsi leaves, and then you offer... Uh, flowers and incense and the light, and then you offer fruits and uh, and food offerings. You bathe the Lord. It's all uh, uh, done in using the power of imagination, visualization. You're bathing the Lord. Uh, you you wiping the Lord clean, and you give a new set of clothes, and and then um, uh, you you wave the light, the arati. Then you follow it up, up by chanting, by singing, by kirtan by the recitation of stava, and it should always have a joy within. It should be a living practice. All of this can become, can deteriorate into a mechanical practice. Many people do puja, and it becomes mechanical. There's no, it becomes some uh, kind of repetitive ritual. That should not happen. You should feel, today the Lord is happy. He, look, he's smiling. Today the, uh, the Lord is annoyed. Have I done something wrong? Huh? You might think, all oh, this is fancy. But it actually happens. Baburam Swami Premanandaji, uh, when he was in Belurmat, he had minimum possessions. When he passed away, they found one pair of clothes in his in a little bag, one pair of clothes, um, one pair of slippers, uh, sandals, one Gita. I think that was about it. He was the manager of Belurmat. Now one day he got a new shirt made for himself. He said, you get, the old one was torn. And at night, he had a vision. Sri Ramakrishna comes to him in a vision and says, Babaram, you've forgotten me. You're making a shirt for yourself and nothing for me. <laughs> and then he told the pujari in the temple, Swami Premananda, go to the temple and see whether the Lord's clothes are all right or not. And they found, I think uh, the bugs had eaten them or something like that. There was a hole in the, in, in the shirt or something. Immediately he had a new set of uh, clothes made for, uh, for Sri Ramakrishna. So you see this kind of practice. There's a very touching story about the gopis of Vrindavan, the greatest of all lovers of God, the gopis of Vrindavan. Now the, the heavenly sage Narada, who comes down to earth once in a while, he comes down and he sees, he goes to Vrindavan, it's his, his favorite spot. Um, he says, hey, now he sees a strange sight. The gopi, who is a lover of God, lover of Krishna, but sitting in a yogic posture and doing pranayama like this and meditating. So Narada said, Oh Gopi, what is this strange sight that I see? Are you doing Patanjali yoga? Uh, to, uh, trying to concentrate on Lord through the yoga? Doesn't your bhakti work anymore? The path of love and the path of meditation. So you have taken to the path of meditation, you know, sitting in asana and breathing control and concentration on the Lord. And the Gopi said, what beautiful words. I, have, I forgot in the original uh, Sanskrit, I think that was. But anyway, it goes like this. He said, oh, sage, that's not it. You see, what happened is, I, I'm trying to forget Krishna. What do you mean forget Krishna? Today in the morning, you know, of course Krishna is nowhere around. He had long gone to Mathura and all that. But today in the uh, morning, you know, I was milking the cow and I felt that... Uh, the little Krishna is there behind me and uh, asking me, oh, give me some milk to drink. And I saw, I turned around and saw Krishna and I was so overcome, the pitcher of milk fell down and it was all wasted. Of course, it's just my mind, I know that. It's, a, it's just, I'm just thinking that, it's my imagination. See, it, it's just a waste, you know, I wasted all the milk. Look at the mischief that, that little Krishna is causing me. And then when I was cooking, I was put all the, po the pots on the oven and I felt somebody pulling my, uh, my, uh, the pigtail, the long uh, knot of hair, somebody pulling my hair from behind. And I look around and Krishna is there and immediately I fell in a faint and the pot was upset and the cooking was spoiled. So I can't live like this. This is, this is really bad. And so I'm practicing yoga to get rid of Krishna. <laughs> now, Narada is so overcome. The yogis practice all this life after life to get one such vision. 
which you continuously get day and night, which you're trying to get rid of. So Narada had tears in his eyes. This, this is the complete absorption in God. Uh-huh. There's another funny story told by the teachers of bhakti, um, sort of poking fun at the path of knowledge. It seems Narada once comes to Vrindavan and standing there and weeping. And the gopis asked him, Oh sage, why are you weeping? Uh, this is Vrindavan, so beautiful, your favorite place. And he said, I'm weeping for all those liberated souls, those who got moksha and got liberated before they could see Vrindavan. The before, before Krishna came, many people had got liberation also in earlier, earlier cycles, but they could not see Krishna, they could not see Vrindavan, they could not see the gopis, they could not see this. That's why I'm weeping for... He's weeping for those who have got moksha. <laughs> what is the practice that we have to do? What is the practice? There's a sutra in the Naradiya Bhakti Sutras, maybe my most favorite one, most practical advice. How do we lead our lives? It says, Sarvada sarva bhavena nishchintitehi bhagavaneva bhajaniya. Very beautiful. At all times, in all ways, without care or anxiety, the Lord alone is to be worshipped. Worship the Lord alone. When? At all times. How? In all ways. And without the least care or anxiety. You see about this chinta, the Sanskrit word chinta means anxiety, care. People of the world are ridden, you know, you, you, you have these smileys. The face goes like this and, the, and the, where we are sad, the face goes like that. And you see mostly people like that face. Anxiety. There's a Sanskrit word, uh, verse, very funny. Chinta chita samakhyata. Chinta chita uh, to adhika. Chita nirjivam dahati. Chinta jivita meva dahiyati. Very simple Sanskrit. It means anxiety is called, is a play on words. In Sanskrit, chinta means anxiety and chita means the funeral pyre where the bodies, dead bodies are burnt. The Hindus burn, cremate their bodies. So that's called the chitta, the fire, the funeral fire, where you put a dead body and burns you up, burns up the body. So he says, anxiety is called that funeral fire. Anxiety is worse than that fire, the cremation fire. Why? Because the cremation fire only burns up a dead body. Anxiety burns up the living body. Anxiety burns up the living body. I remember in the Himalayas, there was this Swami. I don't know if he's still alive. It was more than 12 years ago. Now, he was old, in his 80s. He used to live in a cave, and then he has this little ashram. I still remember him saying, you know, I have, I have only committed only one sin in my life. And we were sitting near him. We asked, what, Swami? The only sin that I've committed in my life is making this ashram. I was happier sitting in the cave. <laughs> but anyway... We all said, of course, why should you say that? Because we are getting the advantage of meeting you and so many people are, can, they can come because you have this ashram. Anyway, he was old at that time and he was very obese. He was, uh, um, he was actually huge. And a doctor had come to check up, check him, give, a, give him a check up. He was not keeping well. He was in his 80s. And the doctor was skinny. Now the doctor asked, and this works only in Hindi, so I'll tell you in Hindi and translate back. The doctor asked, Swamiji, kya khate hain? Itne mote ho what do you eat, Swami? You have become so fat. And then the Swami, he's very witty, he immediately replied. He said, Dr. Sahab, me chinta ko chaba jata hu, aur chinta aapko chaba jati hai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doctor, I, I uh, eat up, I gobble up all my anxieties. I, I just gobble up all my anxieties. And anxieties are gobbling you up. Your anxieties, your fears, your tensions are eating you up. I eat up all my anxieties, so I have become you know, <laughs> junk, junk food you put on weight. But your anxieties and your tensions and your fears are eating you up. That's why you're so dyspeptic, so skinny. Nishchintitehi, <laughs> without the least fear, without the least uh, anxiety, God will take care. Sarvada, at all times. You see, to do spiritual practice, use Space, time, object, desha, kala, vastu. How do you do that? If you can't think of God all the time, let me say in the next one hour, conscious deliberation. 
in the next one hour, I shall only think of Krishna or of Christ. One hour. Cut it off in time. No other thought allowed. No entry. Put it outside your mind. Outside the mind, there will be a sign. No entry. Only Krishna allowed inside. One hour. Space. In this space, in my prayer room, or sitting on my meditation mat, in that space, no thought of the world is allowed. Nothing. No thought of the world is allowed. Not even the most serious problem, not allowed in, when I'm sitting there. Space. Cut off that space. In that space. Object. I will keep my mind on the form of Krishna or on, on, the, on the Lord in whatever form you worship. Even the greatest of things, greatest of sorrows cannot shake you. M, the, writer, the author of the gospel, once in Kashi, there's a, such a touching story. He, was, he used to teach the Bhagavatam, the story of Krishna and the avatars of Vishnu and all, to the monks. And he was going for the class, he was going to teach with the book. Somebody came, ran up to him and gave him a telegram. And he looked at the telegram, folded it, and then he walked on to the class, and he was teaching beautifully. The monks who were sitting there listening to him, one of the monks whispered to the others, to, to somebody near him, that is a real devotee of the Lord. Why? Do you know what was in the, in the telegram? His beloved child passed away. Was sick, passed away. He just folded it back and went on with the, with the class. There's such stories we hear. Uh, who was the great devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Whose own son had died. Son or daughter had died. And that night Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was supposed to come to their house. And there would be kirtan and singing the name of the Lord. Hare Krishna, Hare Ram. And the devotees would sing and dance throughout the night. And this gentleman in whose house, he just suppressed the whole news. Kept his sorrow, his breaking heart within himself and conducted the whole program, received the Lord and sang and danced with everyone throughout the night. So, Sarvada at all times, under all circumstances, Sarva Bhavena, in all ways, not only by mantra, not only by meditation, but by serving the devotees, by listening to the stories of the Lord, by, by speaking about the Lord, by going on pilgrimage, by doing puja, by studying the scriptures, in all ways, Sarva Bhavena. And the Lord in, in, in every form, within yourself, the Lord within myself, within everybody else, in the temple, in every place, in every way, worship the Lord alone. Sarva Bhavena. Sarvada, all the times, and Sarva Bhavena. How? Nishchintitehi, without the slightest anxiety. God has promised, try it, God will take care of your life. You'll be taken care of. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord loves. Sarva Bhavena Bhagavan Eva Bhajaniya. The Lord alone. This emphasis is there. The Lord alone is to be worshipped. Nothing else. God plus something else. No. The Lord alone is to be worshipped. Most practical advice, I think. Very powerful teaching of the higher form of love. Sarvada Sarva Bhavena Nishchintitehi Bhagavan Eva Bhajaniya. At all times, in all places, if you cannot do all times and all places, as I said, particular time, particular place, particular form, at least start with that, then it becomes all. More and more it spreads over. You cannot stop afterwards. It becomes an intoxication. It becomes the most important thing in your life. Nothing else even comes close to it. Everything else slowly drops away from you and you and the Lord alone. This beautiful story, okay, I'll tell you later on. I, th I don't know if I've told you about the, the, the funny uh, incident which I saw in uh, Belurmat. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a comedy played out on how a person is transformed from a person who's very greedy about money into a person who's greedy about God. But that's later. In the Q&A session, we'll, we'll talk about that. I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, the Holy Mother, Swami Vivekananda, to bless all of us present here with a drop, at least a drop, of that ecstatic love of God. May it come into our hearts and transform our lives. May we become the lovers of the Lord in this very life itself and make our lives blessed. 
ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಹರಿ ತತ್ಸತ್ಶ್ರೀರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾರ್ಪಣಮಸ್ತು